0: Hey guys, this is Stowe Bishop with Radio Rothbard. And I want to let you guys know about two big events the Mises Institute has coming up. The First of them is at Birmingham, Alabama on April 22nd. The topic is The Great Reset. And we've got a great lineup for you. Uh, our keynote will be Michael Rechtenwald, uh, a familiar face on The Mises Wire, who is the author of The Great Reset and the Struggle for Liberty. And we will also be joined by Dr. Alan Mindenhall. Uh, who has done great work on the DEI issue within Alabama. Uh, Dr. Jonathan Newman, uh, a Mises fellow, will be speaking on the economics of the Great Reset. And we'll also be joined by Amy Beth Shaver of 1819 News, a great Alabama-centric news site. Um, And they'll be doing a panel on the Great Reset and Alabama. On May 20th, we'll be traveling to Reno, Nevada for a great event on property, civilization and culture, featuring some of our leading scholars in the Mises Institute orbit. This includes Tom DeLorenzo, David Gordon and Bill Anderson. Uh, this event will be focused on how property rights and capitalism made the West great, on some of the important ideas that helped promote Western civilization, and also how media and uh, progressive narratives have been used to undermine uh, the culture of this country. Again, it's going to be a great event May 20th in Reno, Nevada. We hope to see you guys there.
1: Hello and welcome back to Radio Rothbard. I'm Ryan McMagan. I'm a senior editor with the Mises Institute. And with me, as always, is my associate editor, communications director, Tho Bishop, And we're going to talk a little bit more about the potential for de-dollarization and what sort of threat it poses to the United States. Now, this is separate. We talked last week about bailouts and the political effects of those things domestically. I think we're going to talk a little bit more about just what's going on in the wider world in terms of the dollar. Now, that certainly is affected by ongoing bailouts, and we'll explain why, Um, but... Really, when the U.S. talks about being a superpower, a lot of that is tied to everybody wanting the dollar, everybody using the dollar, just widespread demand for the dollar worldwide. And if that dries up, well, you're just a normal rich country at that point. You're no longer a superpower. And I should clarify here, right, is a lot of what we're talking about, we're not talking about an apocalypse. We're not talking about everybody living in huts all of a sudden. It's not going to look like the Great Depression. But if the U.S. does lose its reserve status, people will be less rich. The standard of living will go down. Inflation will be high. It'll be hard. It'll be unpleasant. It'll be a lot like what uh, had happened to Britain in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, which is not the sort of thing you want to live through if you can avoid it. So uh, that's uh, there's increasing evidence that that is the way the U.S. is headed. And Also, just because something isn't happening immediately doesn't mean it's not happening. I've noticed that that's the number one defense a lot of time when you start to talk about these trends is, oh, you don't have to worry about that. The United States is still 41% of dollars used in such and such a global industry. Okay, fine. But, oh, it was 50% two years ago, and next year it's going to be 38%. Okay, that's fine. But at some point, that starts to really affect things. So you need to think beyond just what's going to happen within the next six months when we're talking about these sorts of things. And that's, of course, one of the things that's great about the Mises Institute is at Mises.org, we're not concerned with what this week's news cycle is. We're talking about larger trends. We're trying to understand deeper issues of economics. So... Just kind of starting off by, by looking at some of the, the recent events that are going on, probably in the last 24 hours, the big news item was the fact that France is now buying liquefied national gas uh, in yuan, that is, in the Chinese currency. And this is a new country uh, affiliated with the West, right at, after Brazil had agreed to do the same thing recently. And in the case of France, it's with, uh, I believe, United Arab Emirates and just with the core of the arab oil world there's diversification in terms of what sort of money we're, we're going to use now at the heart of it it's is why let's discuss why do people use dollars and traditionally it's because you want to use what sort of money gives you the most leverage in terms of what's a large economy where can you tr- tr- easily trade with uh, what's beneficial to you in terms of the currency to use? Now, in the past, in the days of the gold standard, gold would get you any sort of currency and get you whatever you wanted. Those days are gone, and we've got free-floating fiat currencies. That's, that's the global economy and what it's based on. So that means if you want to buy stuff from the Americans, you need dollars. If you want to buy financial instruments from the Americans, like treasury uh, bills, you need dollars or anything from the Americans, you need dollars. And then also, you can keep it in your central bank or just keep it in uh, your bank as euro dollars as a private organization because you'll probably need dollars later to buy more stuff from Americans because the American economy is huge and you're probably going to want to buy treasuries because those are traditionally a safe investment, that sort of thing. So you can see why people need dollars. You need dollars for American stuff and American stuff is valuable for the most part. But if you give... countries, you give people a reason to not want the dollar because you're imposing sanctions, because dollars come with limitations, uh, or because the value of the dollar is being quickly inflated away, then suddenly, yeah, you're probably going to still hold dollars, but you're probably going to move toward holding other stuff too. And what that then means is that fewer people want dollars, and as the demand for dollars goes down, that means that <laughs> that, that means inflation rates go up. That means you can't just print up $6 trillion in two years and hope that the rest of the world is just going to absorb it. So if the the demand for the dollar goes down, the value of the dollar goes down as well. And that just accelerates inflation problems and accelerates your geopolitical decline as well. So that's the core issue here. And the U.S. doesn't seem to be waking up yet to the fact that, or by which I mean the U.S. regime doesn't seem to be either waking up to or admitting the fact that this is an ongoing problem. And uh, it's, uh, it, it's not going away. The question is, how fast is it going to keep going? And how much might other regimes devalue their own currency to, to sort of make, make the dollar hang in there for longer? But there's no guarantee that the dollar is going to remain the reserve currency forever. And that certainly presents some real problems for Americans.
0: Right. And re- what's interesting right now is that when we think about what we've seen over the last several weeks with the um, Silicon Valley issue, that kind of helped bring attention to banking weaknesses, not simply throughout American regional banks that we've covered the last couple of weeks, but internationally, right? There's, there's you know, Credit Suisse. Um, we've seen you know, concerns about European banks, which, again, readers of Mises.org have known have been a problem because of ECB policy for several years now. Usually, that sort of global concern about the security and safety of the global financial system results in an increase of dollar holdings. And instead, we've seen the dollar actually continue to slide even with these warning signs popping up. And that kind of I think is a broader indication that all of the economic benefits that have come to dollar holders – in you know modern history, are being seen you know they're, they're, there's there's deliberate trade offs being made as a result of the explicit weaponization of money and banking by the American regime, and again the fact that you're not simply having. You know, sort of a, a growing list of of you know rogue nations, which now includes Saudi Arabia and Iran, which is very interesting. Yeah, you, you now have Chinese diplomacy, where, where that sort of soft power, right? America usually has had for a very long time a very large control over international diplomacy and kind of the currency that comes with making peace deals and things like that. Well, now China's coming in. And China's bringing together Iran and Saudi Arabia. China's coming in and pur- pursuing peace deals with Ukraine and Russia. China's coming in, and you know this is this is not you know talking about the the, the wisdom and and the benevolent nature of Xi Jinping. Which, but there's just an understanding here though, that that a lot of the, the grown-up you know things that that provides political capital in international relations. The, the, the very unserious clownish buffoonery of Washington, the hypocrisy, the, the evil that has come as, you know, kind of the official policy of Washington on top of your standard evil of just blowing up people. Right. So, you know, all, all governments are very good at killing people. All governments are, are very good at all sorts of death and destruction. But like there's there's an extra sort of arrogance, a, a you know, very something that that's off putting even to can, Saudi Arabian regimes that is, is, is that stench is undermining a lot of the things that again average day Americans have benefited from um even with the predatory nature of the state and our relations here and you know, the fact that France is now doing this is, is a huge warning sign and I, I think what we're seeing right now is the narrative it's 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 now kind of even coming across within mainstream news you know there was a, a, a you know CNN um, you know, for for uh whoever they're 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 very serious foreign policy guy that you know is guilty of all sorts of. Fareed plagiarism. Zakaria, yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Zakaria, um, you know that that great original thinker, um, you know, to his credit, I mean, he he gave a very somber, you know, CNN, CNNy, you know, we're seeing you know moves made against you know you know against the the dollar as a you know you know as a single world currency. We're seeing Fox News. Talk about it. It is now per, you know, uh, infiltrating the cable news narratives, um, and, and usually they get things even before DC starts, starts too. Typically, with the, the average IQ of you know your average congressman in America today, um, and I, I, some of this might be a pivot to you know, towards sort of Chinese hysteria, um, and, and you know we're seeing it play out with the way that you know the TikTok bill that's coming through DC is you know absolutely horrific in every sort of predictable way. Um, so some of this is, is attaching to a china hysterical hysterical narrative that oh the yuan is prepared to overturn the dollar as a global reserve currency you know i I think that is extremely unrealistic but what we are seeing is sort of the emergence of you know death by you know million paper cuts you know we're, we're seeing the yuan being used more we're seeing you know Brazil and Argentina talking about having a South American currency reserve board now again when I think of currency stability. I certainly don't think of Argentina nor Brazil. So we'll see how that project really goes. Um, and, and that is that other dynamic here is that, you know, while there is now global recognition that, hey, the Fed is screwing us. And let's 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 remind our viewers that some of the the first real warning signs you know, the red lights about this did not come from China, did not come from Putin. I mean, there's a little of discussion in 2014 and, you know, Currency war stuff then. But really, I think the, the the real prologue to what we're seeing right now was Mark Carney in the Bank of England back in, I, I believe, 2018, where he was saying, I mean, again, again you know, think about the relationship we have with the UK. He was saying back then we must be reconsidering the role of the dollar in the global financial sphere simply because – you know, American politics is being kind of imposed upon everyone else. Now, that was a Trump slap, but the systemic thing there is very, very true. And so, you know, it's going to be very interesting to see how do these global institutions, working within their own self-interest, um, that that no longer, I think, truly fear um, America to a certain extent, which is not necessarily a bad thing, um, but also are explicitly... Hostile to the explicit agendas of Washington, um, you know, I I, I think that the, these experimentations in asset, you know, global currency uh, diversification are going to continue. Um, again, that does not mean the dollar is going to collapse tomorrow. It does not mean that yuan is going to re- replace it. But I think we're going to see a very interesting period of political uh, entrepreneurship in this regard, trying to fill that void and then, of course it also brings up interesting conversations into gold private currencies and things like that and i think ultimately you know what we're going to see in this this next decade is a very interesting global tension between private currencies and changes to political currencies um and perhaps you know consolidation within that you know we can go back to you know james rickard's kind of work on sdrs and sort of sort of that sort of narrative that's been out there for a decade now but i think that ultimately is the major political battle of of you know the coming ages is private money versus, you know, changing politicized money.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. And before we go on, we should just note a little bit more in detail what we're talking about uh, with the weaponization of the dollar, right? What do we mean by that? Uh, Now, for a long, long time, the United States has used political pressure uh, to gain larger use of the dollar. This goes back to the petrodollar, which is a type of euro dollar, but an important type in the sense of it was... This agreement supplied by the U.S., the U.S. went to Saudi Arabia and said, hey, we'll provide assurance for your regime, military backing. We'll do a bunch of stuff to help you people, one of which was the Gulf War in 1991.
0: That's just one example.
1: And also just generally supporting Saudi Arabia I guess its rival, Iran. So that helped then solidify one of the biggest oil dealers in the world, biggest oil nations, that is Saudi Arabia, prefer dollars. And so that really helped, then, the global use of dollar, because lots of people needed to buy oil from Saudi Arabia. So that's just one example of using political uh, bribery and pressure to do that. And just historically, uh, the U.S. has generally been very sensitive to countries saying, oh, I'm going to start my own gold-backed currency or become become some sort of um, haven for capital because we're going to have a better currency and so on. So then the dollar, uh, the U S freaks out about that and wants to prevent that happen. The U S has very much has its eye on the idea of who wants the dollar and who's using it. And so now though, rather than just actively work to try to expand use of the dollar, what they're trying to say is, well, you're not going to let you use the dollar unless you take orders from us at all. So that's, that's the new era of weaponization. And that comes from all of these sanctions that are now being applied to Iran, to Russia, to any other rogue country, the new axis of evil. I can't even keep track of who's in that current axis. I guess Russia and Iran and a couple other countries perhaps. And uh, maybe even China. So now we're going to keep tightly controlled whether those countries are even allowed to play in our sandbox. Are you going to use our dollar? Or maybe we're not going to let you use our dollar. And so then all that does is give countries a motivation to not use the dollar. And So that's what we mean by weaponization because it's now saying <laughs> we're tr- we're trying to create a global economy where you need to use the dollar and we're only going to let people we like use the dollar. So, gee, why would anyone be surprised then that Russia and China uh and its increasingly large number of friends including Iran and Brazil and apparently France somewhat cuz France has always been good about just hedging all their bets and playing both sides as any smart country would. Um Now they're all saying, oh, yeah, we can use the yuan. We can use other currencies, whatever. And that was, I agree with you, that was one of the things uh, Zakaria actually got right in his little segment on CNN was it's not about really the, the Chinese currency replacing the dollar as the one reserve currency. It's really about a threat of all sorts of other currencies being used because anything but the dollar looks more attractive now. And so that's where they're headed, is we've got to come up with alternatives to the dollar. And if we can just create a system where there's some sort of infrastructure in place where we could use uh, Russian money, Chinese money, whatever, but we don't have to then go through the U.S.-dominated system, there's big motivation for that. Now, thanks to U.S. stupidity, quite frankly— uh, if they were had a brain, if they were a liberal country in the sense of free market liberalism, they wouldn't tie politics to the use of the U.S. economy. But there's no shortage of hardcore nationalists and type uh, and anti-Chinese uh, hysterics. And then you did see that in the the Fox News segment that came through on uh, de-dollarization as well. They had an even more crazy-sounding, even more hysterical uh segment on the declining use of the dollar and the dollar losing uh reserve currency status where they were just predicting i mean they gave no time frame for it but it sounded immediate where americans are going to be uh pushed into poverty and destruction and the u.s is going to no longer be a superpower and all this is going to happen and the real threat is china so you saw in the end as you would expect from fox news oh it's It's about China. And so that's where a lot of the talk is coming from. But China is not—the yuan is not going to replace the dollar in the same sense. It's The dollar is going to be replaced by other stuff, maybe including the yuan. But the fact of the matter is everyone's interested in diversifying away from the dollar now, and they're free to do so. And so if the U.S. is benefiting from 40 percent of the the world economy uh, transacting in dollars, well— How much of that benefit are they going to get at 20%? Not as much. That's going to feed inflation more, and that's what we're looking at right now. So they really need to just change their whole global strategy and go back to embracing a more friendly, uh, carrot-based policy of, hey, if you use the dollar, there's real benefits, and we're not going to try and destroy your economy if you do something we don't, but that's what we're looking at, and I—you can certainly see historical precedents for that. Just up until just recently, everybody acted like this could never happen. The U.S. will never lose reserve status, or if it's a hundred years in the future, or something like that. Uh, I guess a lot of that just comes from people just assume that whatever happened in the recent past is going to continue happening in the future. People don't understand that the world uh, that we live in is a post-1945 world. That's when it came into being, and the conditions that exist to create that world and have created that world since 1945, they're changing. The world is changing. It's going to become a different place, just as it is constantly becoming a different place. So just the fact that you're a 65-year-old and and you grew up in a world where the world was this way doesn't mean it's going to last forever. I'm sorry that's all you've ever known, but it's going to change. And so that's where we're headed uh, right now, and it's the other countries have an ability to use their own currency, they're just in the early stages of setting up the infrastructure necessary to have a multi-currency world. And yeah, as you note, right, we're looking at things like private currencies. Gold is still a factor. And Bitcoin may prove to be an important factor. So it would seem the U.S. would just want to step back. If it actually cared about its people, the U.S. regime would step back and let more flexibility in all of those sorts of fields. But it doesn't seem like that's what they're doing. It seems like much of the world is trying to explore new options, but the U.S.
0: seems to be doubling down. Isn't that the case? Yeah, it it is. And it's interesting, backtracking a little bit on, again, I I think it's so easy for us in our orbit that understand the inherent evils of the regime to kind of the escalation, I, th- I think, is worth pointing out. And so, like the, again, you know, a lot of this weaponization of the dollar in, in the modern s- sense kind of started after nine eleven, and going after Al Qaeda allies, and who could argue with that? Because Al Qaeda allies are, are obviously terrorists, and they're bad. And then it kind of escalates to Iran and North Korea, and like, oh, these are obviously rogue states, and so we're going to cut off Iran's access to SWIFT, and this is going to be our ultimate form of of financial warfare. And then it gets into Russia. Now you have, you know, American, you have sitting American congressman, bipartisan, actually, trying to go after El Salvador because of its president's investment in Bitcoin and their interest in Bitcoin. And I think the crypto side of things, I'm interested to see, because I, I, what is starting right now, the pressure from D.C. on Bitcoin, I do not think it's going to stay Simply within crypto, there's going to be a time where I if if things continue to devolve um, and and I think it's it's an interesting question to think about, you know, how we might see a pivot away from this devolution. Um, But if things continue to go down the path that they are currently doing. Um, you know, there, there's going to be attempts to, to interfere with gold markets in the same way that we have, you know, everything dating from the most explicit being, you know, FDR's gold confiscation to ways that international gold um, you know, investing has been manipulated by different actors and things like that. But on the crypto side, we're seeing extreme, consistent escalation on behalf of the American regime and in Europe um, on trying to debank, Financial institutions that want to deal with crypto, um, you know, deal with Bitcoin. And what is interesting in this dynamics, if, if you imagine, if we think about kind of the, the global chess set, um, some a lot of the hu- hysteria out there has been, you know, particularly with, within allied circles. know, it's like, oh, well, China is going to challenge the dollar with like a gold backed yuan. Or, oh, Russia is hoarding gold. And they're going to to you know create a gold back ruble, and that's going to take down the dollar. And I think that there's there's reasons for skepticism of these narratives, because ultimately there's still a political trust there when you're dealing with something that has a nominal gold peg. Uh, China's accumulation of debt over the past ten years is far exceeded their accumulation of gold. Um, Some will say, oh, with well, a secret gold holdings, like okay, maybe, okay, I'm 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 open to that, but probably not at the <laughs> (laughs) The level of Chinese debt, Uh, you know, America now people question the quality of Americans gold holding. Do we really still have gold at at Fort Knox? I don't know. They don't let Congress audit it. Very fair questions. And again, we should not doubt, you know, we should not trust, um, you know, that that Fort Knox is not beyond manipulation by uh, by by, uh, American actors. Um, But ultimately, though, America's gold holding relative to other countries is still very strong, even with the debt. China, Russia is perhaps in a unique situation because they have been the most aggressive while keeping their debt low. Um, but you know, I, I, I don't think people are going to be trusting Putin with with a global reserve currency. There, um, what is interesting though is if you look at Bitcoin and China's holding of Bitcoin is significantly larger as a state than America. Now, confiscation, right? I mean, yeah, I'm not saying that these are. This was honest Bitcoin. Um, but China, China has confiscated more Bitcoin than the US has. Um, and so you know, if if there is increasing curiosity as Bitcoin as as a, a hedge or a weapon against the dollar, which we we have seen, again, you know, we've seen El Salvador make moves movements as a state in Bitcoin. We've seen African countries um, you know, be interested in it as a way of of breaking away and, and kind of protecting themselves from it. And what I find very interesting right now is that over this past several months, we've we've had Operation Show Two, you know, we, we've had deliberate moves by the Biden administration to follow the same playbook that was used under Barack Obama to deplatform, de-dollarize online gambling, is now being used to debank crypto. Um, Kate Long's been waiting; has you know, been sounding this alarm for a while. Um, Signature Bank, we can, we've, we discussed that last week. Um, while that is escalating from D.C., China, which 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 went down to a very, very you know, strong takedown. I mean, you these videos of them you know, using bulldozers to go through Bitcoin mining things and like a really, really strong, man takedown of the crypto industry just a few years ago. Now, over the past you know, week, you have Hong Kong now open for business for the crypto industry. And to me, like this, this is this is this is a I, I think a very interesting dynamic because like again, America is is taking an increasingly it, it seems to me like the moves that we're seeing on the crypto front, I think reflect a regime that has kind of realized that their moves are putting their position in danger. It's an act of, of almost like insecurity from a power, and there's nothing more dangerous than than I, I think a great power that is insecure in its power. And so now you have them really going aggressively, I mean, making completely nonsensical arguments against financial actors that could, in their own way, push back a little bit against various attempts to further increase surveillance capacities. Um, You just find out you have federal control over capital and finance. And and now China is, is opening up. And, and, and perhaps seeing an opportunity here to exploit this. And again, until like, again, the, the arrogance, the, the stupidity, um, the, the ideological blindness, you know, the, the, the absolute assurance that their ideological march is inevitable and righteous. You know, we can see, I think, parallels into the financial hubris of Yellen and you know, the D.C. regime with our approach to foreign policy. And I, I don't see a pivot from that prevailing ideology out there, with the one exception, the one interesting character being, you know, whether or not Powell, you know, is, is willing to continue his aggress, you know, what what had been up to recently, and, and still, I mean, he, he his his interest rate increases, um, you know, there there is still that that narrative out there, like, oh well, I, I you know saw him being promoted as a potential you know, great champion of the fourth turning um, from, from people that, that are, are fans of Tom Luongo. And it's, it's, a, it's an interesting narrative out there. It's, it's perhaps within you know, that, that's that's the one thing, whether or not it's likely or not like that's that's the one thing that could perhaps create any sort of tension in a otherwise American lockstep regime that seems determined um, to to double down on the fallacies and problems at play um, rather than recognizing, hey, you know, may, maybe we need to take the foot off the gas on some of these very oppressive measures to defend our bottom line. Um, and, again, you know, I'm, I'm not betting on that timeline hap- happening out there, but, like, you know, Powell is, like, is, is the only person who I think has even the possibility of perhaps, you know, not doubling down. You know, if, if, if it's going to be any sort of change, it's whether the Fed – is willing to continue to prioritize inflation at the expense of the banking system, because otherwise we're going to see you know, the exact same, you know, we're going to see the escalation that we've seen over the last you know, 10, 12 years continue nonstop. This was the one, the, 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 the interest rate increases that we've seen over the pre, you know, quantitative tightening and things like that, that's the one thing that has kind of gone counter to you know, when you saw dollars, the, the strength of the dollar go up in recent years. I mean, that was kind of a reflection of this. And so there's going to be any breakaway. It's going to be having the political courage to continue that path. And, and should be seen as very unlikely, but you know, the one option out there.
1: Yeah, I know that a lot of our audience is split down the middle on things like Bitcoin, Um some people don't like it, which of course you don't have to use it right. if, you don't, if you don't like it. I mean, if the U.S. is the U.S. government not powerful enough for you, we need we need them to do a bunch of management then of these you know potential financial products that exist outside the domain of federal control. I mean, if you're not into it, who cares then? Just ignore it. Uh, it's and so it seems like that's just an easy answer there, and there shouldn't be any federal policy really about it at all, just like there shouldn't be federal control of money at all, or gold, or any of that. So just leave all that stuff alone. But of course, that uh, that wouldn't come out uh, in favor of the U.S. government, which needs to manipulate the money supply constantly in order to keep interest rates low so that it can pay its debt service on its $30 trillion debt. So there's just a lot of pressures on it at the same time of trying to maintain uh, its geopolitical position. And really what its geopolitical position comes down to is being able to wage multiple wars at once. This is established U.S. policy. This is how the Pentagon thinks. We need to be able to fight Russia and China and maybe uh, somebody in the Mideast and probably something in Latin America all at the same time. And so how do we do that? Well, we need total control over the currency. This is well-established policy that countries have used even in the days of the gold standard, right? Is, oh, there's a war. We need to suspend the gold standard and just produce money as fast as we want so that we have dollars, as in we, as in the the government. Um, so we will have, and of course, we'll have pounds, we'll have francs, we'll have whatever, so we can buy whatever we need to carry out the war. Maybe we'll reestablish the Uh, Gold standard again later, but for now, it's just a a free-floating inflationary currency. And that's what you get every time there's war, uh, even when there was a gold standard. You went back and forth, and war was the determiner of do we respect the idea of limits on the money supply. And, of course, now the U.S. in a post-gold world altogether just simply inflates more during wartime and less when there's peace. Of course, that hasn't happened now in a long, long time. So that's the main concern. It's driven a lot by the needs of the federal government. These are not people thinking conscientiously about the working man and the cost of living and all that stuff. They're thinking, what does the regime need in terms of dollars and demand for the dollar and all that so that they want to balance it out so they can maintain their geopolitical position? But the fact of the matter is that can't be sustained forever. You can wage lots of wars and that won't necessarily save your currency. And we can see that, of course, in the case of Britain and the British Empire, right? If you think that having a lot of war makes your economy better off, just look at the United Kingdom. They had World War One, greatly weakened their economy. It's not a coincidence that that's when Ireland saw their chance to get away. And then after World War II, much, much weaker. After that, they lose their African empire and more after that. So why did that happen? Well, it's because they had to spend massive amounts of money. They had to take uh, eventually they had to fully come off gold in the thirties, at which point, by the way, that's when the pound started to really use, lose its global reserve currency status. In the 18th century, you could argue that, uh, the franc had, had global currency status. That's of course long gone. And then there was a long reign of the pound after that tied to gold, but again, taken off due to the needs of war. And then of, that became essentially permanent, Uh, In the early 20th century. So then it fluxed. There was a, a period of flux in the 30s and 40s. Is it the dollar? Is it the pound? Guess what? It ended up being the dollar. The war essentially ruined the British economy. They couldn't maintain the empire. And that was that the united states seems to be going down a very similar road and using this just the same delusional thinking we can maintain our our essentially our de facto empire forever all of these client states that we bribe that we threaten like saudi arabia like south korea japan all of these countries that we tell what to do and that we benefit greatly from our trade for them with them and them using the dollar for everything and uh, it looks like uh, that whole system is in decline. Uh, there's a lot of other strong, developed nation-states that have other interests and don't want to have to do everything on the U.S.'s terms anymore. A lot of it—I mean, Charles Tilley, the sociologist, one of the guys who kind of really pioneered the field, the field of understanding state-building, said—and I don't think it's totally correct, but it's largely correct—is that the state was created for war, and war created the state. And— So when we see now how states are managing their own use of currencies, it's a lot of it's around either forcing people to use the dollar, trying to prop up the dollar by getting rid of Bitcoin or any other even potential uh, competition and maintaining then a status quo in terms of geopolitical war capabilities. And that's a lot of what it comes down to, but it just... It's not going to keep going forever. And we just see more and more evidence that uh, it's going to end, uh, I mean, in, in my lifetime, certainly, assuming I live another 30 or 40 years.
0: And what's interesting is that really the strength of the dollar right now is the assumption by large international banks, particularly European banks, that the Fed is effectively their bailout as well. Like that, that, that ultimately I think is, is the biggest thing that's kind of keeping, you know, that, that, that's keeping a lot of, you know, the, 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 the greatest area of support internationally is Europe, is, is in Europe. And there, there's a great article by Christopher Hansen this week, um, you know, looking at the, the feds, you know, bailout outside of the U S um, you know, the impact of, of Euro dollars. Um, and, you know, that still is a, 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 you know, a very that, that's that's where the, the the dollars dominance is still the strongest, in spite of you know some some French companies perhaps you know in, in particularly in energy kind of rejecting the, the political pressures there. But for the most part, large European central banks are could, will continue to be the biggest defender of the Fed because Fed ultimate that the Fed is ultimately serving right now as their yeah you know, as, as, as the source of their bailout. Um, and I, I think that's one of the most interesting dynamics in this is that you know for all of the proxy states that the United States has has created, I mean, think about all of all of the client states that you know were born out of the Cold War. Um, you think about you know, our relationship with Saudi Arabia and, and and relations with with energy policy, the closest ally, so many of these long-standing allies are breaking away, and I think a large part of it is out of concerns for American cultural policy abroad far more than like, I, I don't think I don't think, you know, Saudi Arabia is upset about American foreign policy. right? They, they've, they've been benefactors been of American foreign policy for the most part. And I don't think they care about Ukraine. Um, what they care about is increasing hostility. To the cultural traditions of Saudi Arabia and the arrogance of American government you know saying that you can't you know butcher anyone in your you know in, in, in any subject of yours that you seem fit and very good reasons for for westerners for for Americans to be you know critical of the, the you know the the, the actions of Saudis, there's very strong moral uh, issues to be you know, to, to be completely disgusted by a lot of the Saudi royalty, um, including connections to American tragedies. But from a from a political power perspective, um, you know that is what's you know that, that's what's leading a lot of these countries, I think, to to push back and to really reevaluate whether or not the American hegemony you know, of, of, of you know, money and military power really is in their own self-interest in and, and Europe, which you know, has, you know, I think in, in many ways the secularization of Europe very much fits, you know, that, that is the cultural paradigm, particularly of, of American progressives in political power today. And I, I think this is why we're kind of seeing this sort of escalate under the Biden administration. But ultimately, you know, p- people that want to dismiss the impact of culture In terms of politics and economics, I think a lot of the escalation that we're seeing right now is influenced very strongly by cultural differences. And I I think that dynamic, whether or not there's any sort of of reversal in that, if if we're going to see a, a pivot away from the decline of American financial power, which is, again, there's there's arguments for that so but whether but just analyzing it ultimately it's it i think it's not only going to require changes in policy but a change in the way that dc the dc ruling class views its moral authority to impulse to, to import progressive values abroad and without that um, you know, I, I don't think the tensions that are leading to de-dollarization right now are going to go away, and I think that's that's a, that's another you know, something to watch as we monitor and, and, and look at, you know, what the next few years are going to bring. I, I think these differences between progressive internationalists, pro- globalists um, versus kind of a a, a growing nationalist class of, of of very different ideologies. You know, the 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 you know, worldview of Lula is profoundly different than Bolsonaro. And yet both have in their own ways, um, Bolsonaro was kind of a, a, a nationalist in many ways, very close to Trump, but hostile, but but you know, very skeptical of, of Biden. Uh, Lula is pivoting away from the U.S. towards China. Very different ideologies, uh, but ultimately both have at their core a suspicion of progressive American political power. And again, I think that's something, and if, if, you, if, that, if, that's, if that's something that can, you, you, know, you can find in common with Lula and Bolsonaro, you're going to see this, I think, mirror elsewhere where you might have very stark political divides. But if both sides agree on that one key issue, then you know, there's going to be political consequences for America as a result.
1: All right. Well, I think that's it for this episode of Radio Rothbard. This, of course, pretty dynamic topic, and things could look very different six months from now, just depending on where the U.S. economy is going and where maybe uh, relations with Ukraine and Russia are going. And there's always the possibility also that uh, China's economy could head down (laughs) the drain as well. We're not assuming that that's going to just somehow be great, even if the U.S. economy tanks. So all of those issues are very much at play right now. So we'll keep an eye on all of that. And thank you for listening to this episode of Radio Rothbard. We'll be back next week with another episode, and we'll see you next time.